Some of you may recall that during the spring of 2014, I was making regular trips to St. Louis as my mother was gravely ill and spent three long months at Barnes Jewish Hospital. Some of those trips, Rob was able to accompany me, but many times I found myself making that four-hour drive on my own. For the most part, the drive didn't bother me as the hospital is on one of the main highways and is easy to get to. But one trip home, shall I say, left me in a panic. The details of the panic have faded in the last few years, but the core cause of my severe anxiety involved a detour. The exact cause of the detour, as I said, has faded from my recollection, but I'm guessing it was an extremely bad accident on Highway 70. The bad thing about sudden detours, as opposed to well-thought-out ones planned by the Department of Transportation, is that there are no orange detour signs sprinkled along the route to guide you there to the other side. I have never been known to, be, to know my east from my west or my north from my south. I am a turn left or turn right kind of a gal. I soon found myself so deep into the back country of the state of Missouri that I had no idea where I was or how to find my way back to my pathway home. I felt vulnerable and alone. Wilderness isn't confined to remote natural areas. It exists just as readily with urban settings as in the most isolated areas where I found myself to be. This concept of wilderness transcends physical landscapes and encompasses a mental or spiritual sense of loneliness, isolation, and vulnerability. While typically avoided, Lent extends an invitation to embrace the wilderness, recognizing it as a space where we can become more receptive to a connection with God. Within the solitary and vulnerable state of wilderness, Profound insights into important truths about life and death are often revealed. While many of us don't actively pursue the wilderness, we inevitably navigate spiritual droughts, thirsts, and deep needs. Both scripture and personal experiences affirm that these challenging moments are often where God reveals himself in unexpected and profound ways. Modeled after Jesus' 40 days in the desert, Lent is a time when we join with each other in bringing our temptations, our doubt, our feelings of isolation, our fears, and our emptiness before God, hoping to taste God's promised provision in the deserts of life. Let us now begin our journey together and join God at the table he has spread before us in the wilderness. Please join me in our song of illumination. 
please be seated. Stay seated. Today's scripture reading comes to us from Matthew chapter 4, right after our Lord Jesus Christ came up from the waters of baptism, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Let us hear what God is saying to us today. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. And placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly Angels came and waited on him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. The greatest trick the devil ever played was to make the world believe he doesn't exist. This is the premise of the 1995 neo-noir movie, The Usual Suspects. The plot of this award-winning film revolves around five men who are mistakenly interrogated for a crime. 
seeking retribution against the police, they orchestrated a crime that resulted in 27 casualties and the disappearance of $91 million in drug money. The narrative raises two enigmatic questions. Who is the elusive Kaiser Soze, the mastermind behind these events? And what mysterious influence does he wield over the seemingly unrelated lives of these five individuals? The film's core theme of darkness doesn't stem from the crime or death portrayed. Rather, it emerges from the idea that evil is elusive and faceless. Only in the film's conclusion is Kaiser Soze unveiled as one of the individuals who feigned fear of him. The revelation highlights that evil was lurking much closer than both the audience and the characters realized throughout the story. Now, there's a compelling aspect to witnessing the embodiment of evil on the grand stage of cinema within the pages of, of a book or in the names assigned by a nation to those deemed political threats. It's a distinctly human inclination to yearn for the personification of evil, to name it, visualize it, condemn it, and create a clear separation between us and it, thereby transforming it into a discernible adversary in our struggles. This tendency is evident in sacred, sacred texts as well. Characters like Eve, Aaron, Job, King David, even Jesus and his disciples undergo tests with evil forcing them to confront the challenge of acting contrary to God in order to live a life devoted to God. Having a tangible representation of temptation makes it easier for individuals to grapple with the choice of deviating from a godly path. In our text today, the initial account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness may appear off or even heretical. The temptation seems almost unnecessary given our knowledge that Jesus will not yield. Similar to the certainty of the forthcoming crucifixion, the certain defeat of the devil in the confrontation with Jesus is apparent. Jesus will triumph. However, this particular scene holds a crucial position in the Gospel of Matthew, occurring between his baptism and the beginning of his ministry. It serves to acknowledge the existence of evil in the presence of holiness. Jesus faces temptation on multiple fronts, hunger, the desire to avoid danger, and the allure of worldly power presented by the devil. Despite each temptation, he consistently rejects them. This deliberate resistance provides readers with a framework 
to comprehend the impending crucifixion. Certainly God can save God's self from death on the cross. And certainly God in Jesus can refuse temptation to sin. But in our humanity, we need to see God sacrifice and refuse temptation in order to learn the lesson ourselves. C.S. Lewis, in the Screwtape Letters, introduces us to a novice tempter named Wormwood and his experienced mentor, Uncle Screwtape. Wormwood's assignment is to corrupt the heart of his assigned patient, steering him towards worldly affections and away from God. The ultimate goal is to guide the individual through these temptations into a destination that is hinted at, but left to our imagination, presumably hell. The young tempter is instructed to keep his patient self-absorbed and oblivious to his true identity. Screwtape advises Wormwood to keep his assigned patient focused on spiritual matters rather than practical aspects, as practical concerns often lead people to God. The suggestion is to steer the patient's prayers towards specific, tangible outcomes, thus directing his focus away from God and onto material objects. Foster oversensitivity in the patient, making even interactions with his mother irritating. He is advised to manipulate the patient's prayers by keeping them vague and formless, making them easier to influence. Shift his attention from God to himself and create a subtle conflict when he prays for courage, leading him towards boastfulness. In the end, the patient dies and enters heaven, making wormwood a failure and leaving screw tape in a state of anger and frustration. The intriguing aspect of the narrative lies not in screw tape and wormwood attempting to forge legion of, a legion of merciful killers, but rather in their endeavor to shape a generation characterized by self-centeredness, insincerity, pettiness, pride, fear, and a desire to control things of the world. This holds true for our own experiences with temptation. For most of us, the idea of the devil tempting us with bread after a 40-day fast or dangling us over the ledge of the world's tallest building is unimaginable. The allure of being offered all the power in the world is equally foreign. However, each of us can readily relate to the temptations presented by screw tape and wormwood. Pride, vanity, selfishness, and apathy. These temptations are just as profound as those faced by Jesus, and perhaps even more so as they often lack a recognizable face, akin to the elusive Kaiser Soze. Temptation manifests in moments of comparing ourselves to others and feeling inadequate. It emerges when we pass judgment on those who make choices different from ours. 
At times, temptation leads us to turn a blind eye to the needs of others, like those who suffer from poverty, hunger, and disease. Temptation exerts its influence when our tempter, temper sorry, or addictions to wealth, power, influence, vanity, or control start defining our identity. It prevails when we rationalize small dishonesties and transgressions, like hurtful jokes, ethically questionable business practices for perceived greater good, or criticizing a spouse or partner behind their back. Temptation succeeds when we become so engrossed in the superficial aspects of life that we lose sight of life's true essence. These are the subtle, faceless instances of evil. Those seemingly ordinary linger in the hidden corners of our lives and souls. Today's scripture compels us to follow Jesus into the wilderness to confront our own temptations. Like Jesus, the wisest people we will encounter choose solitude or aloneness in order to open themselves to prayer, to letting go, to making choices. Anthony the Great was among the first of the so-called desert fathers who ventured alone into the wilderness in the third century to confront temptations and his struggle to obey God. Just like for us, the life of faithfulness was not easy, but it was not impossible. This time of solitude enabled Anthony to pursue the virtuous life with more clarity. Before he was a healer, teacher, and liberator, Jesus deliberately embraced solitude. In the wilderness, he considered unworthy alternatives and overcame them. By intentionally subjecting himself to emptiness and vulnerability, Jesus was brought face to face with dark options of another path. It was in those moments he remembered who he was, who God declared him to be at the river just days before. My son, my beloved. Friends, we too are God's beloved, and he has spread for us a table in the wilderness, a place to sit in solitude in our aloneness, to open ourselves to God in prayer, to letting go of our temptations, to making faithful and righteous choices. After the devil leaves Jesus, Matthew records, and angels attended him. Jesus sets the example of provision in the wilderness. Today's biblical witness is that no place is as transforming as the wilderness, and we can go there. We can go to the wilderness because, friends, our Lord Jesus Christ went there first. Amen. Amen.